Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Somebody said these words, history shows there never has been a church or a movement that has retained its original purity, simplicity, and power more than one generation or about 40 to 45 years. How would you like to challenge that claim this morning? When I read that, something in me, beloved, began to well up, something in me began to be stirred. Because I believe, my friend, that we can prove that statement wrong this morning. As I look out over this audience, what I am viewing is staggering to behold. To see men who are here because you want to do something for God. You do not have to be here. You've chosen to be here. You have driven many miles. You've flown from great distances because I believe, my friend, that you want to do something for God. And beloved, we need to challenge that claim this morning. The question is, will you come to the help of the Lord? Dante said these words, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who in times of crisis preserved their neutrality. I want to minister this morning on the arena of excellence because there is an excellence, beloved, that I believe can defeat and prove that quote wrong. I'm so sick of mediocrity. I am so sick of that's good enough. And I do not believe, my friend, that you desire to be mediocre. If you do, you are in the wrong building this morning. Let's look into the Word of God. We're going to pick up a story where God is speaking to Elijah. Look at it with me, 1 Kings 19, verse 16. You shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola. You shall anoint his prophet in your place. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, 
Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. I want to first of all look with you with the thought that excellence demands burning bridges. Choices are the hinges of destiny. Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Elijah said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. The Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Beloved, one of life's, if not the, the greatest tragedy of life, is that when God touches a life, we fail to feel the gravity of that moment. When God reaches down and touches a man, the great frustration as a pastor is to observe that and then to see that man just kind of write it off or just kind of put it upon the shelf and think, you know what, someday I just might consider that. Pastor Mitchell said last night, the statement in the Bible, God was with him. Oh, beloved, when he said that, just, didn't that just something happen to you? Because, beloved, who doesn't want that? We are desperate that God would be with us, and we are privileged that he would choose to be with us. The Bible says the Lord hath need. Will you come to the help of the Lord against the mighty? Now, as we begin to look into our text, we see here the first step towards the arena of excellence. It's a story of a man, his name is Shaphat. He is a wealthy farmer, he has vast land holdings, and in our text it speaks of 12 yoke of oxen. Each of these yoke are hitched, are hitched to a plow, and what they're doing here is they are plowing in formation. You have no doubt seen in the fields today where they'll have these giant John Deere tractors and they will be staggered in rows and they're working together and they're plowing or harvesting a field. And this is the picture. There are 12 yoke of oxen and they are sta staggered down the field. Here we see now Elisha. He is Shaphat's son, and he is heir, beloved, of his father's business, and he takes the prominent position in the rear. The Bible says he is manning the twelfth yoke. In other words, he is the watchful eye. He is the one that is at the very end, and he's watching and observing and shouting orders and giving orders to the other men as they're plowing the fields. And so here we have a picture of a father who is very proud of a son and he's beginning to teach this son to take over the family business. And here we find, beloved, this young man, Elisha, is committed to this. He's ready to do this. He's willing to do this. But something happens. 
Verse 19. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Beloved, somehow at this moment, Elisha knew what this meant. And he knew that it would cost him his life. He knew the cost that he would incur, and it's God's call to him to give up his present order in life. It is God's call to him, beloved, to go forth to change directions in his life. Beloved, I submit to you this morning, the choices you make right here are critical to destiny. I wonder right now, can God still speak to you? You know, Jesus said, yes, amen, yeah, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah, hey, hey, preach it, preach it. But can God still speak to you? When your life is going in this way, you have a plan, you have a strategy, you have things set in the place. Can God at that time, it's easy when he got nothing. But I'm talking about you got a plan. You got an inheritance. You're following in a direction. Can God drop the mantle on your life at any time he chooses? Can your pastor drop a hint on you from time to time that the Lord hath need? Can anybody this morning speak into your life and disrupt your plan? See, I'm talking about decisions. Decisions that propel you into the arena of excellence. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul writes these words, One thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'll never forget a statement Mark Olson made. It was at a Prescott conference. It was a Thursday night. I believe he was still a missionary in the Philippine Islands. It was a statement that haunts me. He said to the conference body, you are willing to go, but you are planning to stay. I hated that statement then because it was a sword. It just, because it's those little statements like that that cause you, beloved, in the still hours of your own loneliness, driving by yourself, your head is on the pillow, to really be honest with yourself and say, am I planning to stay? You know, the older you get, you begin to feel some weird, weird thoughts of security. I'm 45. I feel very young. But some say I'm not. Some say my hair has changed colors. I haven't noticed. But you begin to entertain some strange things. When you got a little bit of success, you got a little bit of experience under your belt, and all of a sudden, a mantle drops near you. Who's that for? What's that all about? 
Get thee behind me. Elisha makes a critical decision that sets him apart from mediocre men. And that is, beloved, he burns his bridges and he reaches forward to those things which are ahead. In verse 21, it says, Elisha took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Another translation is a little more pinpointed. It says he took the, the team of oxen and sacrificed them using the yoke of the oxen to boil their flesh. Now get a picture of this, beloved. This is his yoke of oxen. This is his team. He's had a relationship. He knows these oxen. He probably has given them names. They know his orders. And beloved, he goes back to his family. He goes into the front in the view of his family and in the view of his peers. And he takes the yoke from these oxen that represent his career, his future, and he breaks up the wooden oxen, he throws it to the ground, and he begins to pour charcoal lighter fluid all over it. He lights it on fire, and then he looks at his oxen, and he orders them to be slaughtered, and then he cooks them, and he feeds his family, his peers, and his friends with his career. There's a man willing to burn bridges. He wants no distractions. And he leaves no doubt concerning his intentions. Let me tell you something, beloved. I'm here this morning in part due to a decision that became a hinge of my destiny. 1978, when I got saved, April 7th, I went back to Michigan, 2,000, 2,100 miles away from Prescott. And nobody with me I sold my home. I put my two-week notice in at a very good job. I dumped a relationship with a girl I had. And beloved, I got back in my car and I drove back to Prescott, Arizona. And I want you to know, beloved, that step, I did not know it then, but what I know now from the Word of God, beloved, that became a hinge of destiny in my life. And I wonder sometimes, had I not sold that home at that time, I'm not, I'm not telling you to sell your home, I'm telling you what God dealt with me. And there was times of discouragement, there were times of feeling like a failure, that had that home been there, oh, what a lure, what a tentacle to the past that could have reached out and lured me back into the familiar. And my wife has said it herself. I'm so glad you sold that before we married. She goes, because I know you, and I know that would have led you out on some weak moments. I said, dear, you're right. You see, most Christians take the cautious approach. Dad, why don't you take care of the oxen in case this venture doesn't work out? Mama, keep the yoke well oiled for me. I may need it later. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit 
for the kingdom of God. Beloved Elijah, he pours the lighter fluid on the yoke. He butchers the oxen, his livelihood. He serves the last supper of his old life to his old crowd. And I wonder this morning, are there bridges that you haven't burned yet? Are there any plan B's lurking in the shadows of your life? I submit to you this morning that excellence demands burning bridges. Secondly, excellence demands standing alone. This is the second arena of excellence. Recently, I read a book I highly recommend. It's called Duty, and it's the life of Paul Tibbetts. In the year 1944 to 1945, this 25-year-old man was called upon to assemble together a team of 1,800 United States soldiers to carry out a mission to end the war. He was the pilot who piloted the plane to the Japanese city of Hiroshima and he dropped the atomic bomb. It was the orders of General Ent who told him this is your job. No one is to know anything. And Paul Tibbetts said, I saluted and said, yes, sir. And that was it. It was a cold blooded duty Paul Tibbetts then makes this observation beloved that must be resisted if we have any hope of retaining the purity and the simplicity and the power of this great fellowship he said these words he's now 84 years of age the author interviewed him, Bob Green. He said these words to Bob Green. I cannot communicate with people who are less than 60 years old. It's as if all of us in this country know the same words, but we don't use the words the same way. We speak different languages. He was speaking there about duty. He was responding to, he couldn't figure out Bob Green. Bob Green kept saying, you know, uh, how could you do this without letting any of, your, any of your men knew? This was an order that was given to him, and he stood alone with these orders. Yes, he assembled 1,800 men, but he didn't tell any of them what the mission was. He didn't tell any of them the nature of the mission. Beloved, he simply followed the orders. It was the duty given to him by his general. And, and Bob Green is saying, how could you do that? You didn't even tell your wife. How could you hold this in? And he's just looking at him, just befuddled. He goes, what are you talking about it's my duty what are you talking about it was the orders and that's when he said I can't speak to anybody under 60 years of age we speak the same words but they don't mean the same thing and oh beloved that soul speaks to this generation Elisha possessed this excellence of standing alone. Verse 21 says, he arose and followed Elijah. So, and, and, and that's all it says. He arose and followed Elijah. Listen to me, beloved. There's no fanfare. There's no cheering section, cheering him on. There's no buddy system saying, come on, buddy. Hey, great decision, Elijah. You get him, boy. You get him, boy. None of that's going on. It is he and the decision that he knew he'd heard from heaven. He burned his bridges. His friends and family are watching him part. 
Elijah has already gone on ahead. And beloved, for a moment we see this young man and he stands alone. Hebrews 6.13 says, and having done all, stand. You know, beloved, it's easy to stand together in this environment. It's easy to serve God in an environment like this. You can't serve God in this atmosphere. There's not a hope. Not a snowball's hell in, chance in hell for you, beloved. If you can't serve God in this environment, this is easy. We're a band of brothers. But what makes for a culture of excellence is how you stand when you're outnumbered. How you stand when you're all alone. How you stand when nobody's watching, nobody's cheering you on, nobody's giving you the hoo, 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 hoo. come on bro, come on bro, you can do it bro. None of that is going on in Elisha's life. All he has, beloved, is a commission from God and beloved, is that not enough? Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this Sermon Podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring. Awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church. Uh, We could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews. Uh, These do help us to get the word out about this podcast. I want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. Will you come to the help of the Lord? Will you stand alone? Let me ask you, what are most teenagers doing? What are most 17-year-olds doing? Let's get a little more specific. They got their pants way down to here. Can't even walk. Look like they got a week's worth of dirty diaper. What the heck kind of an image is that? What the heck is that? Oh, you're just old. No, no, you go ahead. You, you say that, you know, you, you, whatever. 
your hat is turned this way and over here now at least in the back I looked a little better over here I'm telling you it drops your IQ by 40 points in second, the second you turn it I rented two vans to bring some men here this morning, or last night, and I walked up to the Avis counter, and here is this teenage boy at the counter with an Avis jacket on, representing his company. His head is turned this way, and he's sitting on the counter looking at me. May I help you? <laughs> and I looked him right in the eye. I told my church this Wednesday, and I looked him right in the eye, and I said, if I were your boss, you would be fired immediately. Amen. And I stepped over, and did my business elsewhere to the other counter. I don't do business with people that just look like morons. If you look like a moron, there's a good chance you are one. You know, oh, I'm just trying to be cool, man. I'm trying to do my own thing. Oh, really? You're all doing this, a bunch of lemmings doing the same thing. In the Bible, we have a 17-year-old. His name is Joseph. In Genesis 37, the Bible says that Joseph had dreams, and these dreams were laced with dominion, with victory, with reigning in life, with fruitfulness, and making a difference. A 17-year-old willing to stand alone. What are 40-year-olds doing? Most of them are just, they're in, you know, they're looking at the, they're looking at the stock market and they're worrying about the 401ks and they're planning for all of their retirement. But beloved, in Hebrews 11, we have a 40-year-old named Moses, beloved, who had a great career. His life was going in a direction, but he was able to hear from heaven and Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward 40 years old and he stood alone what are 80 year olds doing if they're still living they're playing shuffleboard they're collecting cheap rocks and quartzite Gee, that's how I want to spend the last days. I've earned my right to sit with all the other old farts and talk about our incontinence. Well, the Bible speaks of an 85-year-old. His name's Caleb. In Joshua 14, Caleb was 85 when he spoke give me this mountain and beloved he waited for 45 years and he said I have wholly followed the Lord my God he was willing to stand alone I submit to you this morning God is not looking for gangs but men who know how to stand alone I admire teenagers Save teenagers who have to go to schools that are 99% heathen. Say, well, how can I serve God in that environment, Pastor? You have to choose to. Because revival is never birthed in a crowd. 
birthed in a heart. It is birthed in one man who will stand alone, in one family, in one pastor, in one disciple, in one worker who suddenly realizes who they are and who God is and they begin to make some claims upon that. Beloved, when you determine to stand alone, this affects every area of your life. It changes everything about how you think, how you talk. It affects how you run the race. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Run in such a way that you may win. Those words stand out to me. Such a way. A lot of people are in the race. A lot of people are on the track. But those that win are those who run in such a way. I was reading about a man, his name is Dave Scott. He won the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon six times. It's a 26-mile marathon across hot-baked black lava rock, 2.4 miles in brutal surf, and 112 miles cycling against ferocious crosswinds. Listen to this. For an extra edge, he rinses his cottage cheese. Think about that. His diet, to make sure he has gotten every bit of fat out of his diet before he eats the cottage cheese, he runs it under the water to get everything on the coating of it that might have any fat. Beloved, he is running in such a way. I wonder this morning if there's some fat in your life you know you might need to begin to rinse under. You need to get rid of some things this morning. It affects how you stand before men. Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine again. Let it so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Paul and Barnabas they stood alone. And beloved, they possessed an excellent spirit that penetrated hearts. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 1, it says these words again. They so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Beloved, this is the call if you're going to be a man of excellence this morning. You are going to be willing to make some decisions, to begin this morning to burn some bridges that are distractions in your life. You're going to be willing this morning to stand alone, to run in such a way, to let your light so shine, and to speak in such a way that you stand out. Your testimony stands out. When you speak, it's more than your words. It's the Holy Spirit that drives those words, that pushes those words, that gives them a dynamic from heaven above because God is with you this morning, beloved. This is what it is going to take if we're ever going to hope to retain purity, simplicity, and power that our fellowship possesses. I want to close well, the last thought, and that is this morning, that excellence demands building momentum. 
most basketball fans know that UCLA won 10 NCAA championships in 12 years and at one point assembled a 61-game winning streak <coughs> Excuse me, under legendary coach John Wooden. But few know that he coached 15 years with the Bruins before his first championship. He worked in relative obscurity from 1948 to 1963. Year by year, Coach Wooden built the underlying foundation. And then in 1964 is when he experienced a breakthrough or is a breakout year in which from there on he won 10 championships in 12 years. The reason I say that is because the miracle moment is a myth. This magic moment when you're just going about your life and, and oh, any helter-skelter way that you want to, uh, there's uh, distractions in your life and, and then all of a sudden uh, it's like the Powerball lottery and the ball with your name pops up to the top of the tube and, and they call your name and it's your lucky day. God is going to do something with your life. That's horse manure. There's no such thing as the miracle moment. It is a myth. I don't care this morning who you view as great. I don't care who you desire to emulate in your life. Their success, their anointing, their favor is the result of building momentum in their lives. They began to build underlying foundations year after year in relative obscurity. You say, well, what about Moses? He had the burning bush. Well, sure did. But beloved, he had made many, many decisions prior to that before he got to that moment. Amen. And still had to make many more decisions day by day by day after that. Years of faithfulness under difficult circumstances. You see, Elijah's, or Elisha's eventual greatness, it was not due to the mantle moment. It was the momentum of day by day by day serving Elijah and retaining his faith in God. Three times, in fact, Elijah had spoken to Elijah that said, you know what, you don't need to follow me. You just go ahead, get on with your own life. You just go ahead and go. This, and he goes, no, I will not do that. Three times he said these words, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. In other words, I have burned the bridges. I have been willing to stand alone and I will not change my course now for anything. Who will be that Elisha this morning? I have burned bridges. I have been touched of God. I know this is the greatest thing on planet earth that I am a part of and I will not be diverted from that. Someone said the biggest things of life cannot be given. They must be achieved. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 
And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Beloved, building momentum is the third arena of excellence. One man explained it this way. He drew in your mind's eye a picture of a huge flywheel. He described it as 35 feet tall, three feet thick of solid steel, and sitting on an axis in which it would spin on this axis. It is perfectly still. A man is given the orders to begin to move it. He leans into it, and, and in a day's time, he can barely even get it to start, and he gets it to turn, a quarter turn. But he doesn't stop. While it's still moving, he goes again, and now it goes a half a turn. He does it again until finally, after many hours or days of doing this, it begins to gain speed and it begins to build a momentum. And then he said these words. What was the one big moment that caused such speed? He said, that's a stupid question. Because it was not any one decision. It was a cumulative process. I submit to you this morning that if you are going to enter in to the arena of excellence, beloved, it is going to be shaped by cumulative processes. The excellence you appreciate in men is due to their life. And the actions of their life, action by action, decision by decision, moment by moment, that add up to a sustained and enviable result. Excellence is no accident. Choose ye this day who you will serve. Beloved, choose you this day who you will serve, and then tomorrow do it again. Choose you this day who you will serve, then tomorrow do it again. Because the world is competing for your time. The siren call is drawing you in, drawing you out, drawing you back. And if you do not choose this, this day, today, December 7, 2002, if you do not choose this day and you begin to be distracted by something else, you will lose momentum. And there are people, beloved, Say, well, I've been saved 20 years. No, you've been saved one year 20 times. There's no momentum in your life. Silly things that you won't cut off your life. Still contemplating the oxen and the yoke. Well, you know, what if this doesn't work out? And so there's never the momentum in your life. You grow discouraged. You say, well, I guess this isn't cut out for me. I guess this was just a bunch of hype. No, it wasn't, beloved. You did not choose every day when you got out of bed. Today, I will serve the Lord. I'm talking about momentum. I'm talking about while you are sleeping in, others are praying. I'm talking while you're searching the net. They're searching the scriptures. 
I'm talking about while you are accumulating debt, they are running in such a way that they may win. See, I believe this morning, beloved, that we can retain. I believe we can retain our original purity, simplicity, and power, but it's going to demand some decisions. God's speaking to some of you to burn some bridges. God is speaking to some of you to grow up and be a man. Quit being such a sissy boy and stand alone. And start building some momentum in your life. In London, and I close, near the tower, story goes there was an ex-soldier and that in itself just stops me an ex-soldier sketching masterpieces in chalk on the sidewalk think about this an ex-soldier you know life is supposed to progress not regress and he's now a beggar in the streets of London Drawing beautiful pictures on the sidewalk in chalk. Every night it rained, they wash off. Nothing to show for his labors. And he starts all over again. Every day, a pathetic, a, a cyclical, every day the same. Never builds on anything. No momentum on his life. And all he gets is a few coins flipped into a hat he has turned up on the sidewalk. The world is full of those who spend themselves on masterpieces in chalk. Something that, beloved, amounts to nothing in your life. And you're going to look back someday and say, Oh, God. Oh, God. When did I turn gray? Oh, God. Why didn't I answer that call? Why didn't I respond? Why didn't I follow through? Why didn't I burn some bridges? Why was I not willing to stand alone? And beloved, you're going to grow old. I was telling the church the other night, when you see a man who's holding a sign and he's older, we'll work for food. What you're looking at, beloved, is a man who at one time was 17, 18 years of old, years of age, and he didn't make the right decisions of his life. And today, he's building masterpieces in chalk. He's wasting the one shot at life that God gave him. And that is tragic this morning. He said, you know, being male, being man, being male is about genetics. Doesn't take a whole lot to be a male. You're born that way. But being a man is about decisions. You're already a male, okay? That's a given. You're going to walk out of here this morning, no matter what, a male. But you may not walk out of here a man. That's going to take some decisions. I would close. First Corinthians, or First Kings, chapter two, verse two through four. Here's David. Last words. He speaks to Solomon. Be strong, and prove yourself a man. Now that catches my eye. Prove myself. How am I going to prove myself a man? Well, the answer is follows. 
Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes and his commandments, his judgments and his testimonies. If your sons, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Beloved, there's the answer. Can we retain our original purity, simplicity, and power? Yes, we can. If this morning you will decide to prove yourself a man. That's all I got. That's we thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.